0: Thank you very much, Kath and Sandy and Terry for leading us. Let's look to the Lord for just a moment together. Our Heavenly Father, we pause right now to realize the sacredness of the moments when your people gather specifically to worship you, to pray, to express our confidence and our trust in you. Our lives, Lord, are in your hands. You have granted us life in this world and all the number of our days were fixed before there was even one of them. And our lives in this world matter. It's not just getting on or one foot in front of the next, but we have a high calling upon all of our lives to live by faith, For without faith it's impossible to please you. And so our Father in heaven, we pause right now to say how grateful we are that you have set your heart and your affections, your eternal love upon each one of your children, whether we're young here among us and have our, our whole lives yet ahead of us, or we are looking back at the majority of our days knowing that we are toward the end of our earthly journey Father, thank you that we can live with confidence because of the kind of love that you have for us. So today, Lord, how I need you to help me to preach your word in a way that honors your great name. And your people need you to have open and receptive minds and hearts to respond to the truth as it's revealed in your word. So here we are, Lord. We ask you to meet with us in this hour. And that perhaps a surprise to us, there might be something within these moments That mark us and change us from here forward. We pray, Holy Spirit, you who've come from heaven to to indwell your people and to be our comfort, our help, and our teacher. Precious Holy Spirit, would you teach us from the Word of God today? We pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ exalted at the Father's right hand, representing us there. You are our hope. You, Lord, are our peace. You are our righteousness. You are, Lord Jesus, our everything. To live is Christ. So, Lord, here we are. Thank you for what you can do that I could never do. You can take your word and cause it to burn within us and to bring about change in our walk with you and our responses and our approach to you. Thank you, Lord. Here we are now. Would you speak to us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In the account that Terry read for us of the triumphal entry, as it's so called that was and never since palm sunday has been on the church calendar for a couple millennia we celebrate and think of that time when jesus came from atop the mount of olives and made his way down into jerusalem and the mount of olives uh, for all of us who i'm sure there's probably hardly anyone here that hasn't seen a news broadcast of an evening that had to do with the city of Jerusalem. When you have seen that scene that you look, you can tell you're up above and you're looking down and you can see that big dome of the rock down there in the middle of the city. That viewpoint is from the Mount of Olives. And there's a trail that winds down through an olive tree grove that's on that hillside. And it was one of Christ's favorite places to go, especially when he wanted to be alone. And a lot transpired there on the Mount of Olives, lots of his teaching, lots of his instruction to his disciples. We also know that on the final night before the cross, he spent that night in prayer there. You'll remember that. And that's where Judas led the soldiers who came to seize him and take him for the trials, the mock trials that led to his crucifixion. So coming down from the Mount of Olives, the Lord Jesus rides on a donkey, on a foal, down into the city. And as he does, the people are celebrating. They are shouting quotes from the book of Psalms. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the king. They're throwing coats and palm branches on the, on the ground before him and so on. And it was, a, it was this big expression of faith and trust in him. And you saw as Terry read that there was a group there, a sourpuss group of the religious leaders who began to rebuke the disciples and say to them, you should, you should shut them all up. They shouldn't be saying this about you. And Jesus there, in that verse 40, it says, Jesus responded by saying, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And as I thought about this year's text, and we're really not gonna exposit this text because it kinda ended up being a springboard that took me into a a whole different way of thinking. But that text is so moving. God in the flesh, Christ, the Messiah is coming into Jerusalem and they're praising him and those who oppose him are rebuking them. And he says, these very stones, you hear the clip-clop of my donkey as we come over these cobblestones. I tell you, these stones will rise up to praise me if you do not. And then it says he looked out over the city and he wept. It is such a moving scene, but as I sat and pondered this text, I was thinking about the love of God and thinking about how, oh, how sloppy that idea has become. Uh, the, The average, expression of the love of God from many pulpits across the country that we would not consider conservative, that are liberal, that don't really take seriously all of God's word. Uh, The love of God is almost a theme that the the people hear week after week after week. The love of God, the love of God. And uh, it reminds me of my grandchildren when they all come and they love Grandpa's French toast. And often when we put them to bed at night, they will say, Grandpa, are we having French toast in the morning? Because I put cinnamon and good stuff in it and they, I enjoy cooking for them, of course. But the way the love of God is expressed and commonly believed. I mean, it doesn't matter out there how you live. You can live like the foulest alley cat morally and be a celebrity in Hollywood or a politician in Washington, D.C., and you can give sort of a token reference to the love of God and how he just loves us no matter what, and no matter what condition we're in, and no matter how we live our lives. In other words, his love has become something like the Aunt Jemima syrup that I pour all over the kids' French toast. It's just syrupy and sweet and has no bite, no no substance, no call upon my life and I as I share this message with you because it's going in a direction you might not have ever thought I want us to stop and think about the kind of love that God the Father has for us as his children is it that sloppy loose everything goes kind of love where he just constantly looks away from the sin in our lives and the way we're living and our worldliness, and that you were you were to put put an unbeliever and a believer next to each other and many times you can't even tell the difference. They're as much in love with the world and the things of the world as those who don't believe. There's hardly a difference. And oftentimes there isn't even a moral separation. And that's why so many churches across the country now celebrate every kind of lewd and strange approach to life and to sexuality and to orientation, and on and on and on it goes. And that's not where I want to go today, but I do want to say this, that the love of God for you as his child and the love of God for me as his child is something so much greater, so much more personal and so much more intense than we really understand. And so when I read these words, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones themselves will cry out. What was he getting at? What was he saying? He was saying, in all the universe, I deserve this praise. I am God among you in the flesh. Come to rescue you. Come to redeem you. And it is a good thing It is the only sane moral thing, is to express devotion to me, for I am worthy of it. So what are we talking about? What kind of love does God have for you as a believer? And now we're touching on an area of theology that you almost never hear. And I come back to it. I preached this, some of these truths back in 1991. When we first arrived here, I preached them again sometime in late, in the late 90s, I think it was 1998, and now we're coming back to it again, because I need to be reminded, oh, Father, what kind of love do you have toward me, and toward all your children? What kind is it? Is it the kind of love that's marketed out there through Hollywood, and movies, and and sloppy messages that don't take seriously your word? Or is it the true love of God that beats in your eternal heart towards each one of your sons, each one of your daughters? So I want you to see this. The topic we're talking about is the jealousy of God. The jealousy of God. Now, when you think that, when you hear those words, you're almost tempted to close your Bible and say, boy, Pastor Tony is really out in left field today. Jealousy is an evil thing. It's a horrid kind of condition to be in. And we all know that there is such a thing as fallen man in his selfishness, his wounded pride, his covetousness, his desire for more of what someone else might have, who makes, and he becomes selfishly jealous. And it's kind of a green-eyed monster kind of jealousy. But is that the kind of jealousy that is God's jealousy? No, not at all. So this morning to approach this topic, I simply want to ask and answer three questions. We're not gonna deal with this topic in any real depth, but I want to introduce it again. May God speak to us this morning as we seek to answer these questions. The first question is this, does God actually say that he becomes jealous? Does he actually say that? And the answer to that question, first of all, is that he not only said it, he wrote it with his own finger. Where we read, and you don't have to turn to it because I'm gonna be moving quickly, But in Exodus 31, verse 18, we read, when he had finished speaking to Moses upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets cut out of the mountain with the hand or finger of God, the testimony, the, the tablets of stone. And it says these were written by the very finger of God. Well, what did those tablets say? What is the second commandment that God wrote with his own finger in rock and sent down off Sinai with Moses? Well, listen to this. Exodus 20, this is the Decalogue of the 10 commandments. It says, God said to Moses, and he wrote it with his own hand, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, The Lord, your God, am a jealous God. That's what God wrote with his own finger in rock and sent Moses off the mountain with his face shining like the brilliance of the sun. Does God actually say that he becomes jealous? Yeah, he not only said it, he wrote it. And he not only wrote it, But he gave himself, get this now, he gave himself the name, Jealous. Tony, when was the last time you looked up to God the Father and said, Dear heavenly, Jealous Father? It would be biblical to do so. And it would be accurate to his eternal nature. Because he is jealous for my heart and jealous for my devotion. So he not only wrote, he gave himself the name. Listen to Exodus 34, 12 through 14. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather you are to Tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their asherim, their false gods. Demolish them. They're all counterfeit. They're false. I, the Lord God, am God alone, and I am a jealous God. And listen to what God says here in this text. For you shall not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Listen, brothers and sisters, in our prayer life, yours and mine, there are times, you know, as as I know, if we're honest, if we're an honest bunch around here, aren't we? There are times where you feel hesitant and reluctant to approach God in prayer. Because you know how you've been living. You know what kind of attitudes you've had. You know how you spoke to your spouse. You day, You know how upset you got at work the day before. On and on and on we could go. You know what you watched that you shouldn't have exposed your eyes to. You know that and so you feel hesitant. You feel reluctant to go to God and to talk honestly with God. You're, you're reluctant. And part of the reason is because your theology and my theology is faulty. Because we don't realize that he longs to have fellowship with us far more than we do with him. He is a jealous God, jealous for your love, your faith, your devotion, jealous over you in a way that is beyond our comprehension. That's the kind of love, not something out of Aunt Jemima's syrup, but it's a holy love a fiery love, a pure and beautiful love, a love that that has always your highest and best at heart, which is to walk with him and to trust in him and to live before him. For the Lord, whose name is jealous. Well, that brings us to the second question. What kind of jealousy is God's jealousy? Well, I alluded to it already, but if you have your Bible there with you, open it to the New Testament to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And the first thing I want to say is, when thinking of what kind of jealousy is God's jealousy, is to say it is not the foul, fallen jealousy of sinful man. In James chapter three, beginning at verse 13, look at what God's word says. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But, watch carefully, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. The jealousy of God is as holy and pure as God himself. And his love for his own who call upon his name is a love that is holy and jealous. I don't know how you feel about that. How do you feel about that in terms of your own relationship with God? That his love for you is so great and so intense that it is jealous for your affection. Jealous for your love and trust. Jealous for your devotion. Isn't that incredible? I've had times in my past, and growing up, I'm sure we all have, where maybe on the playground or something, you were out playing around and somebody comes up to us and we kick the ball around a little bit and toward the end of recess, the kid says, hey Tony, wanna be, wanna be best friends? Wanna be my friend? We all experience things like that. And God says to us, I called you to myself. I made you my child. I, I caused within you the new birth from above. I have made you a new creation and I want you to know that I am your best friend. And I am such a good friend that I have a love for you that's jealous. No, it's not man's jealousy. What is it then? Well, it's the fire of holy love and zeal to protect a highly valued relationship. That God values the relationship he has with you to the point of jealousy. Now, there's an Old Testament text that I want you to see quickly if you can make it back to it. Jeremiah. In the early chapters of Jeremiah, chapter two, I want you to see what it says, because it's more of an illustration of the heart of God than explicitly saying, this is what my jealousy is like. Instead, it's an expression through Jeremiah's heart of how God feels. And uh, so it's God speaking through Jeremiah. And at the end of verse 10, God asked this question. He says, see if there has been such a thing as this. You see, Israel had gone astray. They had embraced the false gods of the nations. They had turned their back on the Lord. And the Lord is moved in jealousy to express himself towards them. And wants to call them back to himself. But watch how God expresses himself in these verses. So... He says, see if there has been such a thing as this. And then watch what God does. Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. In other words, knowing me and walking with me and trusting me is your glory. And then he actually, God actually speaks to the heavens. He speaks to creation, and he says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder and be very desolate, declares the Lord. Why? For my people have committed two evils. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. (laughs) The heart of God, he says, listen, I am so moved in my jealous love for you that when you turn away and chase the world and chase after it for satisfaction, when you go after it with the aim of white knuckling, possessing it, all you're doing is hewing out broken cisterns that can hold no water. I, God says, I am the fountain, the eternal fountain of living water. And he expresses his heart this way to the people of God. So you've done two things. You've forsaken me, but you've replaced me on top of it. It's like the story you've heard me tell. The eighth grade boy, he's in the eighth grade and. He's on the basketball team, and he falls for one of the 8th grade cheerleaders. He just thinks she's, she's the greatest. Oh, how he loves her, he thinks, anyway. Puppy love, type of love, but his little heart just pitter-patters over her. And so they actually, they seem to be a, an item for a little while. And at some point, they even got to hold hands as they walked down the hall. And uh, of course, once they held hands once, then it was holding hands continually because that was part of him hanging on to a prized possession and he wanted to make an announcement to everybody in the school, she is mine. But a day came where she said to him, this isn't gonna fly. Uh, I'm sorry, but I'd like to stay friends, but this just can't go any further. And he said, why, why, what have I done? Nothing, nothing, it's not you, it's just, it's just, it's just not, no good. And so he goes home that day from school broken hearted as an eighth grade, eighth grade boy would be broken hearted. But not only was he forsaken, but what does he find the very next morning when he comes to school? He looks down the hall and to his horror, He sees his little gal walking hand in hand with the point guard on the basketball team. He's not only been forsaken, now he's been replaced. And he's devastated. Now, elevate that simple little human drama infinitely. God says to his people, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me and they've replaced me. How can this be? Be appalled, O oh heavens, that this could occur. This is an illustration of the jealous love of God. Jealous over those he calls his own. Well, let's move on to number three. So we've seen, does God actually say that he becomes jealous? Yes. He not only said it, he wrote it, and he not only wrote it, but he gave himself the name jealous. What kind of jealousy is God's jealousy? Well, it's not the human kind that's foul and selfish and bitter, but rather it's a fire of holy love and zeal to protect a highly valued relationship. Thirdly, what do we learn from God's jealousy as individuals and as a church? Well, first, as His church, He wants our moral separation, our moral separation from the world. Look at Second Corinthians chapter six, if you would, just as a case in point. Second Corinthians chapter six. Now, we are to be in the world, but we're not to be of it. We are to be a witness for Christ in this world and to be a good representation of his life as we live for him, as we bear witness to the saving grace of God. But here we find in verse 16 of chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, we find this in God's word. word. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, here's the therefore, here's the thrust, What about God's jealous love? Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. What is this text saying? I want you to be in the world, but not of it, and you need to have a moral separation of a much higher and more beautiful kind, you must separate from this fallen world and its ways, its values, and what it continually chases after. Moral separation. So what's he calling his church to do in response? All of us, in light of his jealousy, let us be a separated people. Because power is in separation. The world out there is starving for for reality. And now the voices on every side through the media and through technology and all of this. And now we see the cancel culture movement and the woke movement. We see all of this going on and it's just sweeping the world. And it's all around them. And they long to see the real thing. Believers with confidence and joy as we, we sang of who have joy and confidence because we live and walk with a God who sustains us, who grants us a peace that this world could never grant us and a hope that the world is completely bankrupt of. God, in his jealous love, calls us, Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Come out from among them. Be different. Be like me. But what about the individual believer? As as his individual child, simply put, what does God want from you or me? You know what he wants? (laughs) He just wants you. That's it. He wants you. He wants you devoted to him from from the sole of your foot to the scalp of your head and everything in between. What does the jealous love of God call from you? Not much, just all that there is. He wants you. This is a fascinating verse, and it's a very hard verse to translate. But I'm reading from a translation that helps make it clearer. Look up on the screen with me at the final verse for today. And this is an incredible verse of scripture, look at it. Don't you realize, God says, that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. Now, when he says friendship with the world, he doesn't mean the enjoyment of the mountainside or a sunset or a stream or a lake natural beauty that he has created. He doesn't mean that, he's talking about the world and its ways and its value and its twisted ways of thinking that leaves God out of the equation. So friendship with this world makes you an enemy of God. I say it again, James writes, that if your aim is to enjoy this world, you can't be a friend of God. And then here's the verse, and this this is staggering when you think about it. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the Holy Spirit, whom God has placed within us, jealously longs for us to be faithful? The Holy Spirit Of course, being the third person of the Trinity, we would assume, wouldn't we, that if God says my name is jealous, then we can assume that the Holy Spirit has that same characteristic, does he not? That the Spirit of God who lives within you and within me is jealously longing over our souls that we would walk faithfully, obediently, trustingly with the Lord. What does that that being faithful really mean? Well, it could be stated in many ways, but this maybe is one of my favorites, and I'll just read it for you. Listen carefully. What does God want? He just wants you. What is he jealous for in his fiery, holy love? You. And what does he want from you? Well, at its very essence, We read this, 2 Corinthians 11, verse three. You can just listen. Paul writes these Corinthians that were involved in all kinds of worldly stuff and immoral stuff. And Paul writes these words, but I am afraid, Paul says, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, because that's where it all begins, right? We don't, that's why I don't often go after behavior. I'm more concerned about what you're thinking, what I'm thinking, our thought life, because decisions and behavior come out of our thought life. That's where the real battle is. Listen to the verse again. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. See that? What does God want? God, Father, you're jealous of me, what do you want? Tony, I want the simplicity and purity of devotion to my son. How simple is that? So that's why I say, what is it that God wants from the individual Christian, each one of us? He just wants you, he just wants me. The jealousy of God. When you think about the love of God for you, do you think about it as a jealous love? We need to if we're to believe the scriptures and what he is actually like. Oh yes, one author put it this way, an older gentleman, he said, God's jealousy is his holy burning zeal um, for the benefit and blessing of his people. Coupled with his intolerance of rivalry and unfaithfulness, his vigilance in guarding a prized possession. He guards you as a prized possession. The burning zeal to protect and preserve a growing love relationship with you. It is His holy love and zeal to protect something He considers supremely valuable and precious in his heart. That's how he feels about you and about me. So from time to time, because we are his children, we receive some discipline from the Lord. In fact, Hebrews 12 says that if you're never disciplined by the Lord, then you're probably an illegitimate child. You're not really one of his because all of his sons and daughters receive correction from him, right? Haven't we all been out to the woodshed a few times? As they used to say. But stop and think about it. Think of the ramifications. Next time you have a quiet time with the Lord, look up to the Father and say, Father, I'm here to meet with you. And I'm so glad you're not reluctant to meet with me. Because your love for me is so great that it's even jealous for the simplicity and devotion of my heart. Isn't that good? That's like a great internal, eternal magnet that draws us to the Father. Come to me, my children. I am your God, and I'm jealous in my love for you, isn't that great? Doesn't have to be seen in a negative way. It's an incentive not to to try to avoid the presence of the Lord, but Lord, I'm so glad you feel that way about me. I don't comprehend it, I can't begin to grasp it, but that you care about little bitty Tony like that? Are you kidding? And he says yes. That's the great pulsing, pulsing heart within me. So that when you think about my love, remember that my love for you is a jealous love. Amen.